Well, good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to see all of you here, and we're looking forward to our time in God's Word. I trust, again, from Joshua chapter 1. If you'd like to turn to Joshua chapter 1, please, we will read it one more time as we, Lord willing, finish out our look at this wonderful chapter that begins this remarkable book. So, uh, Joshua 1, if you are able to stand, I invite you to do so for the reading of God's Holy Word. After the death of Moses, the servant of Yahweh, Yahweh said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded you, saying, Yahweh your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until Yahweh gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that Yahweh your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may Yahweh your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Please be seated. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about taking possession of the inheritance that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. That inheritance of eternal life, of peace in this life and joy and contentment and provision and communion with God, perhaps more than anything else, as the the presence of God is certainly uh, referenced here 
both directly and indirectly throughout this chapter. And, and this, all in the context, just as it was with Israel, in the context of actual, uh, with Israel's actual possession of the land, for us in the context of living in the midst of a society that uh, is a dead set opposed to you taking possession of what God has promised. Now, I'm not speaking about a particular piece of property, obviously. I am speaking about our spiritual possession. But we live in a world that does not uh, wish the church to have a free reign and does not wish to uh, have believers be uh, content in their God. We live in a world that, uh, much like the world of, oh, say, ancient Babylon, where um, Nebuchadnezzar and others like him were content to have the nations under them worship whatever gods they wanted to, as long as they exalted the, uh, the human-erected God, which in Nebuchadnezzar's case was himself. Um, see that in Egypt, you see that in other places too. Uh, this world, even though we may not have the, uh, the same propensity, particularly in the West, of setting up golden images uh, or, or the like, nonetheless, uh, we, have, we have a world that, um, a world system that wants every person in it to give uh, due worship to the gods of the earth, to those who are in power, to those who uh, have the influence. Um, and even just to man himself, exalting man himself, it, without reference to God. So we live in that kind of context, and certainly we look at our world around us immediately, and there are many immediate things that are before, the, before us, are there not, that threaten uh, to undo and are striving to undo concepts of righteousness and godliness in government, in society, in entertainment, in in the workplace, in every sphere of life, uh, family. And it uh, can get discouraging, can it not? It just seems like the battles never end. And uh, I've got a little, I, I have a secret for you though. Um, and here it is. The battles aren't going to end. They're not. Not until King Jesus comes again. So in the meantime, we have work to do. And that's why we are commanded in the scriptures not to be weary in doing well. Uh, we, we need that encouragement. But here, that uh, kind of on the, the, the positive side of that, not, it's not just not being weary. We can be weary, and uh, certainly I think we all know what that is like. And we can be encouraged not to be weary, but... I love the way this is positively stated here in Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous. And we have been talking about the necessity of strength and courage that uh, we must have in order to possess the inheritance that God has put, for, uh, put forward for us. We spoke about the strength and courage that's necessary to do battle with God's enemies, which is kind of the most obvious thing that's in front of us, and certainly the most obvious thing in front of Joshua and the children of Israel as they stood there on the edge of the River Jordan looking off into the Promised Land and knowing <clears throat> that the giants of the land that had, had turned their knees to water 40 years earlier were still there. The challenges were still there. 
None of that had changed. If anything, there was more determination on the part of the people to withstand uh, and resist the invasion, if you will, of Israel into the promised land. Certainly, uh, the uh, Rahab's words there in Jericho would indicate that um, all that had gone on with Israel in the Lord's hands had certainly uh, not been something that, even though over the passage of four decades, that subject matter had not died down in conversation. And the funny thing is, or the peculiar thing is, that in all that conversation, and you know how things go, but the telling of stories, they tend to get bigger. Um, kind of like some of our the fish that we catch. Right? Over 40 years, do you think that in the discussions about this, they probably got some things wrong about what God had actually done for Israel. But in the telling of it, Rahab pointed out that peoples, the peoples were, uh, were terrified. And here's the peculiar thing. You would think, well, if they're so terrified, why didn't they just welcome them in and, and you know... Well, but no, they were terrified, but in their terror, they were all the more determined to resist the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his people. So the opposition didn't go away. So you've got to have that strength and courage to do battle, because the enemy is determined. And you need strength and courage to obey when, in the face of temptation. When you're tempted to turn tail and run, when you're tempted to compromise, when you're tempted to make treaties you shouldn't, tempt, you shouldn't do, which Israel did. Um, when you, you need strength and courage to stand fast in the midst of those battles and in the midst of the, the taking of your inheritance so as not to think that the world can somehow improve upon God's blessings, upon his promises, because it cannot. Strength and courage is necessary because the temptations are strong to weasel out to find some other way than God's way. But strength and courage helps you to be careful, as we noted last time, consistent and confident in your obedience. And now we come to this last section, which is verses 10 through 18. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple of things here that I, I, I just love this because this really brings it home to us as a congregation. But as it, if, you, if you're familiar, and I expect that most of you are quite familiar with uh, at least the broad details of Israel's conquest of the land of Canaan, it wasn't that uh, they just marched in, Joshua said to all the people there, all right, lay down your arms, this is ours now. And everybody went, oh, okay. And it was done. They didn't send out a memo, they didn't put out a public service announcement letting them know what's going to happen. This was a long conquest. And in fact, because of Israel's incomplete obedience through it, it was never actually totally completed. Certainly not in the whole borders that are mentioned here in chapter 1. But nonetheless, much of it was accomplished. But it was a long time. Um, you know, I think most of us are pretty, pretty good at rallying our strength to tackle a particular issue, um, a momentary need for, for courage and valor to get something done. 
But when it goes, when things go on and on and on and on, when there are setbacks, when there's opposition, when there's indifference, whatever it is, uh, we think about uh, even the progress of our body here as a as a church plant. It's been that way actually with every church plant I've ever done. You go through these cycles. It's you're not just there to come in preach a couple times, and voila, you have a full church. doesn't work that way, does it? People come, people go. Again, opposition, uh, rumor, discouragement, uh, just um, people not being there can really take the zing out of your, your zip. You just... I don't know that that's really not a saying. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it probably won't become one. Uh, but you know what I mean. It could just take your enthusiasm for the task away. And it feels like you're just slogging through. And again, there's all kinds of reasons and excuses that you can bring into why, well, this isn't going to work. I guess it's, oh well, throw in the towel on this one. Maybe try somewhere else. So strength and courage is needed not just to do those momentary battles. Again, we can gear ourselves up for those kind of things. Um, I, I would say from my own experience as well as from those I've spoken to throughout the, you know, the years, um, the stats are something like 4,000 pastors quit the ministry every year. Um, and I assume that's included probably other ministry folks. I rather expect it's not the one-time disciplinary battle or some theological controversy that they were involved in that uh, maybe they suffered a defeat in, as it were, that drives folks out of the ministry. It's the constant day in day out demands of it that just wears wears them down to the point where they just I can't do this anymore you need strength and courage to commit yourself for the long run in the possession of our inheritance as the Lord tarries now sure um, and I'm not saying this to be lighthearted at all uh, but it could very well be that next week there is someone missing from our fellowship because the Lord's taking him home. I mean, we might not have a long time ahead of us until the fullness of our inheritance is, is uh, fully possessed. But for most of us, the, Lord, <clears throat> uh, the Lord's desire is that we tarry, that we work, that we labor, that we battle, day in and day out in our families, in our workplaces here in the church, among one another we take the discouragements in stride we take the opposition in stride we take the the, uh, the, 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 the challenges the misunderstandings the, all of those things we take them in stride and we keep going that's where the real courage is that's where the those, I remember those I, the concepts of the word strength and courage. 
the idea of tenacity is, is there in, at the heart of that word uh, strength. The, the boldness to, to continue on in your tangible demonstrations of that tenacity. So you'd need some strength and courage to commit yourself for the long run. And that is the focus here on verses 10 through 18. Now there's a couple of factors to this that aid this uh, strength and courage. And one of them is found there in verses 10 and 11. And we see this by the example of what Joshua does here. He, he, he's heard from the Lord all the instructions about what they're to do. And so he immediately then goes to the officers of the people and commands them to go around and pass the word. Prepare your provisions for within three days you're going to cross the Jordan to take possession of the land the Lord your God has promised you. Seems simple enough. But think about the implications of uh, these two verses. First of all, um, when we are looking for, all right, where, do I, where am I going to get this strength and courage from? To, to stick it out. The first thing is confident leadership. First thing is confident leadership. Joshua has received his marching orders. Christ our King gives us our marching orders as those who are leaders in the church. Now I'm not just speaking about myself um, or even our elders. I'm speaking about leadership in the church in general. We have marching orders. Uh, church leaders that stand up and don't clearly proclaim, thus says the Lord, what God has, uh, has said to do and command his church to do, are not just doing a disservice to the church. They're disobeying their God and acting, in fact, as if, almost as if he wasn't clear in what he said. Years ago, and I've mentioned this, those of you who've been here a while, you know I've mentioned the, the calendar that used to be in the seminary student lounge about church life. There's lots of real gems in there. But one of my favorite little cartoons that was on there was uh, of a pastor who's sitting there. He's clearly discouraged. He's got his head in his hands, downcast. And behind him, there's a, a chart for attendance. And on that chart, the line is bouncing down, down, down. The attendance is down. He's clearly discouraged about the uh, attendance there. And there's someone else uh, standing there uh, trying to admonish him. And uh, he says to the pastor, well, I don't know, Bob. Maybe it would help if you didn't ever end every sentence with, but then again, what do I know? <laughs> You know, we, we, we laugh at that. But that kind of thinking in pulpits is all too common. Maybe not using those exact words, but approaching God's word with this wishy-washy, believe whatever you want about it, and it's all right, somehow. Um, and then wonder why God's people aren't energized to serve him. Um, have you ever been um, 
Anybody ever been on a tour group here? Think about it. Some of you, I heard a couple of snickers, so I'm wondering about your experiences. Maybe you can tell me about that. But um, I've, uh, as I've traveled around, I've done a few tour groups, and um, as we've done that, it, the ones that are the valuable ones are the, when the people really know what they're doing and we, they're, they're conscious of the schedule and they're keeping things going. The ones that kind of go, well, maybe we should, well, what if we go over, um, well, let's try, the, you know, oh, okay, that's, that's not good. Um, and traveling in Asia, uh, I had a chance to go to several touristy kind of spots and seen big tour groups there, and some of you know about know what I'm going to say here, you know, everybody's wearing a certain color hat, the leader's got a flag, you know, it's like, we know where we're going, and everybody, you know, they're all going around, and it's confident, they follow, they don't question. Now, it's not that, you know, we're, we're supposed to be those who are you know, taking into consideration what we're what we're told and all of that sort of thing and comparing it with God's word. So I'm not talking about a blind, mindless obedience, but I am talking about what you know. If the leadership in front of you has confidence in what they're doing, that engenders confidence in those who are following, does it not? If the leadership doesn't have a plan, if they're not really sure about what they're doing, um, you know what's going to happen in that vacuum of leadership? What, what takes place? Others try to step up and fill that, and then you end up with all kinds of chaos. If you think about it through, I don't know, this is a bit of a rabbit trail. We're okay. We're doing all right. If you think about the progress of Israel under Moses and Aaron throughout the wilderness, at the very beginning, Moses was not exactly the paragon of courage, was he, when he was called? Um, He wanted Aaron, (laughs) or wanted anybody else to speak. He didn't want to speak. It was necessary um, from the Lord's perspective to to give Moses uh, the proverbial kick in the pants with some extra things to indicate that, yes, uh, I truly am Yahweh, your God. And here are the signs of that with a, with the staff and some of the other things that, that uh, the, the hand of leprosy and all of that sort of thing. So that Moses, Moses needed to be convinced that this was truly of God what was happening. And, and can you really blame him? What God was calling to do was an absolutely astounding task from, from, I started to say from a human standpoint, from any standpoint, to take a people who had been enslaved for 400 years and take them out and form them into a nation and march them across a desert to a promised land that none of them have ever seen before. And most scarcely remember that it had ever been promised. Yeah, Moses was overwhelmed. And as he began uh, his leadership, there were, there were 
you see little missteps along the way. One of them, of course, when he struck the rock the second time. Some other things. Indications that he would show confidence sometimes and other times not. And every time he, showed, he did not show confidence, it wasn't that it was all his fault that Israel sinned and rebelled. But it sure didn't help them to stay on track. But as he went on through those 40 years, uh, you watch his leadership change. So by the time that generation uh, that had rebelled dies off, <clears throat> the next generation is ready to go under fresh leadership. Now Moses got clear marching orders, did he not? Well, Joshua does too. And that's why Joshua has... Uh, confidence in the Lord here. He's, he has received from the Lord's mouth what Israel is to do, what the goal is. Have we not also received that as a people? And certainly, uh, those of you in leadership, we have specifically received some pretty distinct instructions. We don't have the right to stand up here and say to God's people, well, I'm not really sure what the Lord would have us to do. And I'm not talking about, you know, what color we're going to paint the walls. What I'm talking about is our goal for being here, why, we're, why we are in existence, what our role is in the community of evangelism and edification and correction and all of those things. We don't have the right to say, well, we don't know. Take a look at 2 Timothy, if you would, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Well, I tell you, I can't read my own notes. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Chapter 6. I'm going to uh, just read verses uh, 11 through 16. Of course, Timothy is a young man. He's a, he's a disciple of the Apostle Paul who is mentoring him in ministry. And so these, these epistles are often called pastoral epistles because Paul is advising Timothy on how to be a good pastor, on how to minister to God's people. And this is just one passage as an example. Um, I chose it simply because it's got so many instructions in it, just to, uh, to save a little time. Paul dumps them all in here together. Verse 11, he says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness... And uh, that pursue is governing all these things. So for every one of these, this is a, an individual command. Pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good profession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and, to, and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus, which he will display at the proper time. He was the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And those are just a few of the instructions that are given. Now, preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season, and so on. Rightly, rightly handle the word of truth. Uh, correct those who are in error. Um, pull
pull those back who are in danger of the fire. Uh, it could go on and on. If you're in leadership, officers particularly, uh, these words are for you. You, you and I have received our marching orders, and we can be confident in what we say to God's word as we stick with those marching orders. And Joshua, in as he. This is a momentous thing that has taken place. They're standing there on the shores, the banks of the River Jordan. Two million plus people. Ready to march over the Jordan as soon as they can figure out how to get across. And Joshua is saying to the to the officers of the people, the elders of the people, go tell everyone we're leaving and we're going over in three days. After 40 plus years of wandering, the day is on us. Who knows how many times in the past people have thought, well, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the month. Maybe this is the, the year that we'll actually go in and possess it. Maybe now. Maybe now. Maybe now. Uncertainty, uncertainty, uncertainty. And Joshua comes and says, in three days we're going. And you don't get any hint from what you see here that everyone was like, oh no, that can't happen. No, because when the time came, they were ready, weren't they not? And away they went. They listened to what was said. They did prepare. And the officers that went out, those who were under Moses... When they went out and in turn spoke this confidently. They didn't go out and say, well, guys, you know, this Moses is saying this, but I don't know, but he told me to tell you this. So, you know, take it into account. Hopefully it'll happen. <laughs> they didn't do that. They went out and said, get ready, we're going. And when that happens, the people had the confidence, the strength and the courage to say, all right, we're, we're packing up the old kit bag and we're going. And they were ready when the time came. But please note that Christ's servants here, for example, the officers of the people, they were only useful as much as they were informed. Uh, Joshua told them exactly what needed to be said. He didn't tell them, guys, go and pray about it for a while and see what God has for you. And then go tell that to the people. No, he confidently received what God had said, declared it faithfully. They believed it. They received it. They were informed of it. And they went out and did what they needed to do. One of the prophets asks, you know, how, can, uh, um, how can the battle be, be enjoined if the trumpet is uncertain? If the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who can go to battle? You can't. Um, they needed the marching orders and they needed that leadership. He tells, Paul tells Titus in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9 uh, that he needs to be holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. You got to know the marching orders, gentlemen who are in leadership. Fathers and your families, you need to know the marching orders. Husbands, 
you need to know the marching orders. Wives and moms, as you're dealing with your children, you need to know the marching orders. Because those who are following you can't follow if you give an uncertain sound with the trumpet. The trumpet that calls those who are following to take courage and join the battle. So that strength and courage is aided by confident leadership. And then verses 12 through 18, a, a beautiful passage here. Because your strength and courage is not just about um, the leadership whipping you into shape, <laughs> getting behind you, flogging you on, keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, thankfully, it's not that way. Um, both from your standpoint and from mine. My arm would get awfully tired. I don't want to keep doing that. What's a, what's a joy, parents, when um, you're training your children and suddenly, lo and behold, one day, out of the blue, they obey something <laughs> or they do something that you, that you have been training them to do and you didn't have to exhort them, you didn't have to urge them on, you didn't have to threaten them, you didn't have to do anything, they just did it. You go, wow, that's awesome, right? And particularly for you you young people that have siblings, brothers and sisters. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands about this. But let me, uh, let me uh, just ask you a rhetorical question. Is it easier to obey when your brothers and sisters are obeying as well? Or do you find it uh, hard to obey if your brothers and sisters are determined on disobeying? I mean, what's our natural tendency? To rebel. And if we have encouragement and rebellion, um, it makes it easier to rebel. We're still responsible for our own decisions. But nonetheless, um, that whole peer pressure thing, uh, there is something to it. And here we have this beautiful picture of God's people coming alongside to help each other in the possession of their inheritance. And it's a, it's a beautiful picture. Because your strength and courage, is, again, is not just about you know, taskmaster leadership. No. Your strength and courage is aided by brethren who are faithful to you and to the Lord. Look at this. Um, in verse... Uh, so remember Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh had been given their possession on the east side, the east bank of Jordan. They already had their possession. They'd already got a head start on their, their getting their, their flocks and herds in and getting their crops and all that sort of thing in. Um, they'd had some time to do that while everybody else is milling around and waiting to go get their possession on the other side. So Joshua comes to them and again, with, with confidence, and notice it's not confidence in, even in himself. Say, see, all right, now, uh, I'm your leader now, do what I tell you to do. He says, remember the, you know, what Moses commanded you? Remember what the message was from the very beginning? Do you remember the agreement that was made? All right, now's the time to uh, uh, make that a reality. Uh, no more wishful thinking, here we go. Um, Yahweh is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. 
So now you're going to go help your brothers possess the land is the summary of all that is said here. But notice something about, the various, some various aspects about this. So there are, just the, the, the broad truth here, that strength and courage comes when brethren come to your aid. When they stand with you in the battles that you face. It's awfully hard to stand uh, alone, is it not? What an encouragement it is when others of like precious faith and similar convictions and similar confidence in the, in the Lord's instructions stand with you. Verse 14 speaks of that. Um, and, and notice here, next, that they're not just coming because, well, now it's convenient for them. Now it's easy for them, so they'll come help you because they didn't have anything else going on. Remember, they've got flocks, herds, families, crops, all of that. These are not just brethren that are willing to come alongside and aid you as long as it's convenient. These are brethren who come alongside, leaving behind what is most precious to them in order to help you. How could they do that? Put yourself in their place. If you were of the tribe of Reuben, Gad, or Manasseh, I've often thought of this, and it never ceases to amaze me. They're herdsmen, they're farmers, family men. And they are leaving all that behind in a relative wilderness, susceptible to attack. If all the men of valor are going over across the Jordan, who's guarding the home front? And yet these brethren are commanded to do that and they demonstrate a willingness to do that. You and I, when we're facing the battle to possess our inheritance, to, to fight against the, the, the enemies of our souls within as well as the enemies of God's church without, to do it alone, God did not design us and desire us to do this alone. That's why he commands us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And I have seen many times in this congregation through the years and in other congregations where I've had the privilege to serve of people who came to the aid of others at great sacrifice to themselves without a hint of resentment or resignation or hesitancy. They saw a need and they stepped up to fill it. Whatever it cost them. That is the blessing of walking together to help to hold up each other's arms, strengthen each other's hands for the work that God has for us. And notice they're, they're to leave everything behind. Everything is going to remain in the land that Moses gave you, Joshua says. What had happened if they uh, decided... Because remember, um, as, as the nation's going in, they're taking, those that are going, 
west of the Jordan, they're taking everything with them. All their livestock, their families, everything that they've got. Um, not, not the normal way you go into battle, right? Usually, well, when you go into battle, um, you take your weapons. <laughs> but here, they're going in to possess a land, so they're taking everything with them. That's enough of a tall order, a logistical nightmare. You know, uh, as they're preparing to do battle, they've got to take care of the sheep and the flocks and where are my kids and where's my wife and all of that. What Joshua is commanding Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh to do is not just go in and mingle and kind of be there and lend a hand everyone every once in a while. He's commanding them to go and basically be the vanguard. Those who are the point of the spear. So that their brethren who are burdened down with their own baggage can have a chance to possess their land. When we go to help somebody, when you go to help somebody, leave your baggage behind. And what I mean by that is we often have a tendency, I've been guilty of this myself, I know, and... and uh, it's a common thing that when we come to help, we, we certainly want to, we certainly have a, there can be a temptation, I'll just put it that way. There can be a temptation to want the people we're helping to make sure that they know we're helping. That we want them to, to give recognition where recognition is due. That we, um, bring our own uh, weaknesses and failings into it and often may use, as a, use it as an excuse why we're not as effective as we could be. It's not uh, uncommon. In fact, it's really, it's almost cliched it's so common. It's that uh, people who are involved in different counseling and that kind of thing, um, it's, for example, it's really remarkable how many marital counselors are divorced Drug addiction counselors um, have a history of addiction. Now, there's it's kind of a two-edged sword. Sure, there can be some value in having walked through those steps before, right? So you know what some of the pitfalls are to avoid and the challenges that are there, for sure. But I've also talked in talking with folks like that, some, some folks like that, um, and seeing them and some of the trainings I've been in. And uh, <laughs> I know Andrew and Mike and a few others of you here, we've sat in on some trainings together uh, that are dealing with things like stress and management of all that kind of stuff. And where the trainer was able to draw on his experiences to relate and connect and demonstrate understanding, great. But when the training got into uh, a whole wallowing, poor me, poor me, look at all I've suffered uh, type of thing, it's not worth anything. It doesn't help anybody. It just says, well, I don't want to be like that guy. And that's about all you glean out of it. So we need to find a way to, to 
as we come to each other's aid, we're not doing it so that they can look at us and go, boy, what a hero you are. Look at how much you've suffered and yet now you're helping me. No, it's you're there as a vanguard. You're there to help. You're there to be the point of the spear, the shield, to help, whatever it takes. The Lord's blessed you. Go bless somebody else. And when we do that as a church together, we grow together, we're strengthened, we're encouraged to stand fast because we know we're not alone. I didn't want to grind that in too much, but um, you know, a lot of times we bring our, our stuff along because uh, we want to be the, uh, the heroes too, and that's not what God's uh, mind is all about here. Notice in verse 15, that uh, these are brethren who not just help a little bit, but they help until the job is done. They help until the job is done. Notice in this passage, there is no schedule given. The Lord doesn't say, all right, it's uh, whatever. It's March March 20th now. Uh, so um, by the time, we're, I'm asking for a two-month commitment so uh, we're going to do that, and June 20, you can go home. No, the, the end of this is when the, their brethren have possessed their inheritance. Then you can go home. That adds a wrinkle into it, doesn't it? Most of us, again, are willing to buck up the courage to do stuff if we, if we can see the end of the tunnel. But when you can't see the end of the tunnel, you don't know how long it is, you don't know what's on this other side, that's harder. And if we don't have strength and courage knowing that no matter how long it takes, we're going to stand with each other through thick and thin. And, and of course, in our particular circumstances here, the application would be throughout our lives. We have this kind of devotion to one another. Because each of us are going to have our struggles back and forth. And as a body, we need to stand together. And then as, as a, a congregation of saints, when there are others of like precious faith that are going through it, if we have an opportunity to lend a hand to other congregations, we should. Whether they've got our name on the sign or not. Without, uh, all right, I'll, I'll help you for so long, but... After that, no. Done. Notice also in verses 16 through 18, the response. And I love this. Okay, we kind of smiled a little bit when they spoke about obeying Joshua just as he'd obeyed as they'd obeyed Moses, which okay. But the intention was was good there. They intend to they intend to uh, walk in obedience and do this. And notice what it says. All that you command us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. There, is no, there are no conditions upon their service. <clears throat> they don't say, we'll go as long as you pay us a per diem. We'll go as long as you, know, you guys agree to come over and help us. They didn't even do that. No conditions. Beloved, when we go to help one another and strengthen and encourage each other, don't put conditions on that. When you go help those who are in need, don't put conditions on that. Well, we'll help you as long as you do this, that, or the other. 
Give freely of your time, your effort, your resources, minister to others, to strengthen and encourage them to stand fast in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And look what you see here in verse 18. That phrase comes up again, doesn't it? Only be strong and courageous. Now we've come full circle. God has told Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua has told the people, be strong and courageous. And now the people, using God's words and God's thoughts, are turning things around to encourage their leaders, be strong and courageous. They are brethren who are encouraging with the Lord's encouragement. They're not trying to come up with some other way to, to help, help Joshua be, be confident about what's going on. Um, they're not only encouraging with the Lord's encouragement of what the Lord says, but they also, notice, are encouraging Joshua by praying for him that the Lord would be present with him. Just as he has communicated that the, the Lord's words, that the Lord would be present with his people. Um, many of you, through my time here, um, have sent... Have, have called up, you know, uh, and times when you know that uh, I'm going through something, you will call, tell, let me know you're praying for me. You've been generous beyond means, uh, beyond imagination with your means and your time and your energy, and you're faithful to encourage and faithful to pray and faithful to let me know that. can't tell you how much that means. Because there are certainly times through my ministry when I... Lord, uh, is, it, is it time to go do something else? There are times of discouragement. But yeah. If I can take my eyes off of what Jesus has said, yeah, I can get discouraged pretty easy. And you guys come along, and with the Lord's encouragement, with the Lord's words, and the Lord's, the Lord's methods, come back and give to me my own medicine. <laughs> Things that I tell you. And it's a blessing. It's an encouragement and gives me the strength and courage to stand fast in the role that God has given me. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Back and forth together. This is why the church uh, was instituted and had its roots as far back as Adam and Eve, in, in my view, but certainly with Abraham and then come to fuller fruition with, uh, with Moses and then on through history as the Lord instituted um, the body which we've come to know as the church under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, if we try to go, go it alone, your knees are going to falter. Your faith is going to fade. You'll end up abandoning the very help that God ordained to strengthen you and to steal your nerve. And that's himself in the midst of his people. If we're unwilling to submit ourselves to his leadership within the institution that he has ordained, it's a matter of pride, honestly, and it will destroy you. Because he did not intend us to be little Lone Ranger Christians out there. He intended us to be 
with one another, among one another, helping one another, and receiving help from one another. Not to mention, this, it, within the midst of his people is where God says he is most present. On the flip side of that, are you the kind of brother or sister that a person can turn to in time of need? And know that to the best of your ability, it may not be much that you can do, but to the best of your ability, you do what you can to be a blessing to each other. I trust that you are. So, in the possession of your inheritance, <clears throat> cowards need not apply. It takes strength and courage to possess your inheritance. To do battle against God's enemies. To stand firm in the face of temptation. And to commit yourself, not just for the short little battles, but for the war, for the, the long haul. So, here's a question for you. What is your inheritance? I trust, dear friends, that it's eternal life and not eternal judgment. Second question, how do you go about securing that inheritance? Both in the short term, in the society that we live in, but also for the long, long haul. We've talked a little bit about that strength and encouragement and certainly our confidence must be in the Lord Jesus Christ who has secured it for us. And the third question, as you go about what he's called you to do, whose strength are you relying on to do it? May each of you humble yourselves before God to find the grace and the strength to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for this encouragement, this beautiful picture of mutual submission and encouragement back and forth between your, you, your leadership, and your people to stand fast and with boldness and tenacity take hold of the life the inheritance that you have promised uh, all of your people. Lord, let us not falter, but depending upon our Savior, let us walk in a manner that is worthy of him, rejoicing in the goodness that you give to us in this life and pressing forward towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus to reserve, re, receive an eternal inheritance of peace, life, and joy forevermore with you. Thank you, Lord, for what you will do in us uh, in the days to come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>